0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the BETD podcast series, the final episode for 2020. I'm your host, Michael Buxbaum, energy journalist and blogger with the heinrich Boll Stiftung's energytransition.org. For this podcast, we are interviewing the incredibly inspirational Palestinian solar entrepreneur Maj Mahashawari. Barely 30, she's the founder and CEO of both GreenCake, a Gaza Strip-based startup that designs and manufactures bricks made from recycled local materials. And she's also the founder of Sunbox, which designs, constructs, and provides small-scale solar solutions to families throughout Gaza and occupied Palestine. It was already a stretch for Maja's traditional family when she graduated from Gaza's Islamic University with an engineering degree in 2015. Back then, they expected that she would follow the usual path for young women in Gaza and get married without ever having a career. Instead, she determined to help make a difference and solve what has, for over 70 years, been a persistent problem in Palestine, repairing buildings destroyed by war that otherwise couldn't be rebuilt because many of the necessary construction materials are not allowed to be brought over the Israeli border. Beyond inventing a new process for making a strong, low-cost brick from ashes that would otherwise be wasted, Majd also created a model for a new female-led business and putting other women in leadership positions. With that project and model ongoing, Majd was far from finished. Over the last few years, she and her family have continued to develop new innovative products to help resolve some of the other Difficult aspects of life in Palestine. In this case, lack of reliable electricity. By harnessing the power of the sun and bringing low-cost off-grid solar solutions to her community, Maude today in this podcast shares her experiences, insights, and information about her latest project, Sunbox, with our audience. And who are they? Why well, they are the people who attend the Berlin- energy transition dialogues, policymakers, analysts, academics, journalists, business people, investors, and others from within the energy sector. Most of Gaza's electricity comes from its diesel-fired power plant, as well as some imports from Israel and Egypt, but altogether, it receives far less than half of what it needs for a full 24-hour supply. Over the years, the power plant's ability to generate electricity has been affected by repeated Israeli bombardment, as well as Israel's ongoing restrictions on Gaza's access to fuel. From the beginning of our conversation, though, Maj's voice conveyed her passion, her determination, but also her hope for the future. Please join us.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you, Michael, for having me. Uh, my name is Majd Masharawi. I'm a Palestinian citizen of Gaza. I was born there, I grew up there, I moved recently to Saudi Arabia for personal and business reasons, and uh, I'm very passionate about my community issues. Since I was a kid, I loved to go around, see, see challenges, try to tackle it, solve it, um, and this is th- that was the sense behind what I'm doing now.
0: Starting with Gaza, you began as an entrepreneur by developing a new way to make bricks out of rubble. Could you talk more about how that project started and and how it's still ongoing?
1: In 2008, I was around 15 years old. We lost our house. It was partially destroyed in the war. And in 2012, it was again destroyed partially during the war. My parents that time decided to move out of the area to the middle, to the middle, to the, to Gaza city. And, and while, when we went to see the house, I was looking to the other people around us who lost their houses, but they don't have the ability to move to a new house or even get a shelter. Um, that feeling uh, made me say, okay, perfect. So can we rebuild the houses? The, the answer was no, we can't because Israel is putting more restrictions on importing building material into Gaza due to political reasons. Um, and then I asked myself a question, a second question, so what can we do for these people? How can we help them? How can we create the access for them to rebuild their houses? Um, so I went to my university professor and I said, uh, I want to do something in you. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to help these people. I wanted to do an, an innovative idea that can create the solution for this crisis. Um, and this is how we started the green cake. My my dad was working on a research to uh, create building blocks from paper. And, and he was working on it like for a couple of years. Some of it were successful, some samples were not. Um, he handled for me his research and he said, you can start from this point. So we started making um, paper creed uh, green, uh, building blocks from paper. It was very expensive, not affordable. Then we moved to make building blocks from mud. We said maybe we should go back to the old Romans times and old Arabs times when they used to make uh, houses from mud bricks and and we've and we've done couple of pilots through my dad's company but it was not it was not reasonable because the Palestinian families are quite big families so when they wanted to build a house they wanted to build on the rooftop of the house another apartment for the first kid and a, th- a third apartment for the second kid and so on for mud houses it's not uh, it's, it's not a preferable because it doesn't allow them to go more than two stories so we decide, decided that time uh, to do something that's a close to what we have now, which is making building blocks from the ashes, the fly and a clinker ash. Um, and I started the research. And as long as I, as long as I was developing the product, um, we ended up using not only the ashes but also the rubble of the demolished houses. Um, yeah. So this is the idea behind the green cake.
0: How did your efforts with making bricks with Green Cake lead you to your current focus?
1: When, we, when I was developing Green Cake, I, have, I had no idea about you know, if this is going to be a business or something. The only focus for me that time was is two things. The first thing is I wanted to help these people. The second thing, I wanted to prove for the community that women cannot, are not useless. We are not only housewives. We can be business people. We can prove to the world that we are capable of creating solutions, like men, sometimes more. And we care for the people. Like I care for the family. I care for my kids. I care for my parents as a woman, but also I care for the people. And I knew, Michael, that the world won't hear my voice. I won't be recognized. I won't deliver the message of the Palestinians if I don't have something that gets my back like a record like a, accomplishments um like if you if you stand up and just you know speak 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 no one would listen but you have if you have impact if you have something big between your hands everyone would just turn their faces and look at you and just say oh we wanted to listen to this lady because she's doing something different so i wanted to have this space um, the pace where i can stand and and speak up to the world about gaza and every time I turned on the TV, I was just, you know, seeing the I was seeing and the new but I was seeing in the news is destruction, occupation, uh, unemployment, depression, sadness. But I was always asking like where is the positivity in our community? Why they are not showing that we are also capable of doing so many things. We wanted life. Okay, And we teach life, uh, but what, what, what the world knows about us is just you know, death and violence and occupation and these negative thoughts. So I wanted, to show, I wanted to show a different face of Gaza. I had no idea if this is going to be a business or not, as I mentioned. But as the time progresses, uh, I learned a lot. I learned how to run a business. I learned how to create a team. I learned how to deal with men, how to work with them. It took me a couple of years, and um, honestly, until today, Michael, I still struggle.
0: But let's go back to, to Green Cake, <laughs> to how you went from Green Cake, actually, to your, your newest venture, Sunbox.
1: With Green Cake, we start, I started with the prototyping, then the pilot, and we built the first pilot in September 2016. Um, and then um, I went outside for the first time outside of Gaza to Japan to refine the product. And I went back and we continued the production. And I decided to start studying business so I can look for a scalable, a scalable work, not just only work between the Gaza borders. So we scaled up our work and, and, and that drove us to the second business. So Green Cake was a place to start so many different things. One of these things is Sunbox. Uh, during our work in the factory and producing the bricks, I always suffer from the electrical shortage. Sometimes I had to go to the factory at 3 a.m. in the morning. Sometimes I sneak out of the house just to do bricks. And my parents would kill me if they would know. So yeah, because sometimes I go like 2 a.m., 12 a.m., 10 p.m., 6 a.m., 5 p.m. Like there is no constant power that allowed us to have a constant production. Um, So that that drove me to think of how can we also address this solution, this this issue with with finding solutions. And So when I moved to the United States in 2017, um, I felt ultimate freedom and ultimate support. Um, And I felt that I can do anything I wanted to do if I believe in. So that time um, uh, we decided to start Sandbox. And the reason behind Sandbox is The electrical shortage that we suffered from during our Brex production and during the, the, the whole of my life, like the electrical crisis started in 2006, I was 12 years old. You know what does mean 12 years old? It means like more than half of my life, I haven't seen 24 hours of electricity so uh so when i went to the united states um the you know the fellowship i was part of decided to invest in this startup and they said if you can make it happen we will help you to make it happen if you want to make it happen we will help you um so i went back home and we started my i started my second company sandbox and sandbox is a company that did not invent any technology All the money we raised for investments, we decided to use it to replicate this technology and engineer the current products and the existing products to fit the market needs and the financial limitations of the Palestinian families who live inside Gaza. When we started Sandbox, we had the vision of going to the off-grid and on-grid community in the Middle East. So we had a regional vision. We did not want just to have it as a Palestinian company, but we said in three, four years from now, from 2017, we will, be, we will start penetrating other markets. And that's exactly what's happening now. So we worked in the Gaza market since 2017 till 2020. We managed to install solar systems, big, small solar systems, medium and large solar installations. And it was the first Palestinian company that's led by a woman in the energy field. Um, so we created a huge team comparing to the Gaza side. I know maybe it's not big uh, comparing to European size, but to Gaza, we, we are now around 12 engineers working in different fields in the solar industry. We've impacted over 25,000 people who get energy and we also worked in the water sector. So we provided solar, solar systems for so many desalination plants inside Gaza, producing every day 100,000 litres of clean water for the families. We've also worked on the infrastructure and we provided the streets with solar lights so families can navigate their way in the morning and during the night when they go to the mosque to pray, when students go to, the, go to school in the morning, in the winter times and women won't, won't have sexual harassments. So yeah, where are we standing now? Um, Sandbox, as I mentioned, worked in, in, in Gaza for the past three years. 2020 is the year when we decided to start penetrating the second market. So we, we, we incorp- incorporated our headquarter in the UK, and recently we registered our company successfully in Saudi Arabia, and we are penetrating the market with business to government um, model. We had a couple of meetings with the governmental officials. We had initial approvals. And now we are only waiting for 2021 to to start so we can kick off our pilot.
0: Incredible. By bringing more light, Maj, to Gaza, how does this affect the day-to-day lives of people in both traditional as well as non-traditional families?
1: Well, I just want you to imagine that we don't have electricity now, Michael, you and I. We won't even talk. We won't communicate. The world now is depending on the technology that depends 100% on energy. Everything is powered by energy. Your laptop, your mic, your phone, your home. Your, some, some cars even in Europe now are just working on electricity. So, so I, 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 want, I would just say one sentence. If you don't have energy, you won't have life. Um, and 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 these families who live inside Gaza, I witnessed so many families. For some families, it would be, ah, oh, great, let's have lights so our, our kids can study, the mom can cook. But there are so many other families that they need this electricity to run their their basic living needs. Like, for example, medical devices. Like, we, I witnessed by myself seeing small kids, their moms carrying them and walk like for 10, 15 kilometers every day to the closest hospital so they can run their medical device and give it and and they can have like oxygen or nebulizer or whatever. So for us we think yeah it's great to have electricity, but for them it's life. It's simply life. Um, and and the way the people so so when we also started our we have we, we, we shifted between different business models in Gaza so we can work with the financial limitations of the families. So I remember um, two months ago, we had a meeting with a, with a couple of families in a community that we installed solar system for. And I said, hey, what do you feel? How do you feel about having a solar system? And one one father raised his hand and he said, I feel I'm the richest man in the community. I'm the only one who his house is always, ha- always has lights. So the whole community decided to have the gatherings inside my house. Before having a solar system, I was nothing. So... Energy for the people in gaza it 's more than just a light it's a, it's a pl- it 's a privilege it 's a life it's a, it's a luxury they feel it's a luxury like they feel happy with this solar system and they don 't know how people outside this smaller prison live with having twenty four hours of electricity um, and it's also on the top of that I could feel that tran- the transaction of the mindsets in my community so people who have solar. And, and energy inside their houses, the way they think is more independent than the families who don't have it.
0: In, in a way, one of the things that united us all this year is is how every one of us has had to deal with, with the coronavirus. What What does it mean to live in Gaza now with COVID? And, and how does COVID place an extra burden on the Palestinian people?
1: Well, I, I will tell you what I've told CNN before. They said, what is your reaction about COVID? I said, Gaza is the largest open air prison and COVID for us and lockdown is another prison. So you don't only keep people inside. This smallest trip, but you also keep them inside their homes. Honestly, people don't care. People, they said, we've witnessed worse than COVID. What is COVID for us? So this is the reaction in the streets. Although the government is trying to prevent people from going out and they, you know, they are super hard with them, super harsh. They tell them, if you go out, we will put you in the prison. But people still don't care. They said, what can we do inside our houses? For people in the world who are locked down inside their houses, they could have energy to run a TV or work with their laptops. But for us... When we have nothing, especially during the summertime, when they asked us to, to to quarantine, what could we do inside our houses? It's super hot, especially for the camps. Like one third of Gaza people live inside camps. So imagine that these camps don't have a rooftop on the roof and on, 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 on the top of their heads. During the, su- the summer, it will be super hot because the sun is hitting the house. During the winter, it's super cold because the water goes inside. So people went out in the camps and they said, don't, they told the government, don't ask us to stay inside if we don't have a place to stay inside. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. So pe- I, on the top of that, Michael, what makes me always surprised and what makes me always speechless is they smile. Like you look at the people who suffer the most and you find them, they are the ones who give the most and who help the most.
0: So COVID is just one more burden for the people of Gaza. But in terms of empowerment projects and startups, what extra burdens exist for folks living in Gaza and, and for women like yourself who want to begin startups like these?
1: Well, Gaza today is not like Gaza five years ago, Michael. Um, the community, although it's a closed, it's locked down. It's a prison. But people in our country are very intellectual and they always keep themselves up to date. Um, five years ago, women, like if, if I remember when I wanted to start my business, um, I was talking to my parents and I said, dad, I wanted to do this and this and this. And he said, Majd, listen, by the end of the day, you will be a housewife. Don't think like a man. So when he said that, I knew that this, this, this kind of business or any kind of business is only meant for men. But as the time progresses and as, the ta- as my parents could see how much impact we are bringing, two of my brothers are working with us in the company. My dad invested in the company. My dad is the biggest supporter for me now, five years ago. So the mentality is a changing. But what we need on the ground is a rule model for women because when I was starting my journey, I, I couldn't find one mentor from my community who can tell me that, who just put her hand on my shoulder and could say, It's okay, what's happening to you now, it's okay, it's gonna be better in the future. Women have a lot of a pressure in our community pressure from the family, pressure from the community. Pressure also from, you know, the other external factors, like, you know, the borders, the, uh, the traveling issues, like you can travel alone as a woman, you cannot do this. I, I was always told that women, all, the only word I heard since I grew up and I just opened my eyes and I started to recognize the word is you can't because, you can't because, you can't because. And, and this is what every woman in my community hears. Uh, but again, it's changing, and 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 it's changing speci- specifically in the Gaza City. But in the north and in the south is still the same. Even when I drive my car in the north of Gaza or the south of Gaza, young people, young kids would point at me and say, "Hey, woman is driving! Look, look, woman is driving!" So it's uh, it's still it's still complicated, and I cannot blame people because they don't they've never witnessed, they've never seen anything like this. I always also we know people always tell me like what you do what you are doing is something unusual we've never seen this before you are changing the narrative you are changing the prototype you are changing how people perceive women how people perceive how women perceive opportunities even um so so and i'm so glad that i could pave the road for other women in my community and i always receive messages from women saying ah we love you because you believe in us. You believe in our leadership. You believe that we can do it. Um, it's, not hard. it's not easy, Michael, um, and, and it's not going to be easy. As long as we progress, it's getting harder. But at the same time, we get more support.
0: Speaking of balances and shifting balances, you've recently moved, Maj, to Saudi Arabia. How does that change things for you, for your initiatives? And, and how does that help you then take things to the next level?
1: Before talking about uh, moving to Saudi Arabia, I, always, I, I was always looking for freedom, Michael. As a woman who grew up in a conservative community and in a community that lacks everything, I always wanted to be free. I always wanted to experience and live the life of a freedom, deciding on what I wanted to do or what I wanted to have. And, and when I started traveling the world in 2017, for the first time I left Gaza, and you know i went to europe europe asia arab countries and then when i went back home i felt that freedom is not a physical thing it's not about just being physically freedom free it's about mentally free how can you make your mind free and that's exactly what the blockage is doing it's not only keeping us physically inside as a small strip it's keeping our minds inside and as women because of the community pressure and the family pressure we have another prison so uh, when you talk to women in my community you cannot imagine you cannot feel you cannot feel you, you cannot feel that they can get out they always have limits so they always like this is my limits i can't do it this is my limits this is all what i can think of i can't because so she's repeating what they've told her before i can't because because someone else told her you can't because so it's uh it's it's freedom is a psychological state of mind. Um, and when I moved to Saudi Arabia, I was you know thinking. I was also, also thinking, oh, I'm here, like it's an open country, people can travel easily, not, you don't have to obtain four or five permits to leave, you don't have to go knock the doors and wait for like six, seven hours, you don't have to go through interrogation for 12 hours in the border, no one would just, you know, suspect you being a spy working for Israel, working for Hamas, whatever, so... So when I came here, I was like hopping a lot. I was saying, oh, I'm going to move to a free country, an independent country. I'm so excited. But when I came, when I moved here, I figured out that I have more freedom than the women here. I have more mental freedom than the women here. Although they live in an open country, but it's again, it's not about the physical freedom. It's about the mental freedom. How can you achieve more with less?
0: working with and meeting with other women facing similar situations. How, how has this led you to hire and promote workers from within your own companies?
1: For, for me, when we were hiring people in the company, I wasn't looking for women or men specifically. I was looking for the ones who believe in my leadership. Because whoever, it doesn't matter their, who, where they came from, who they are. Just you need people who believe in what you do and support you. Uh, and once you have these people and you create this small army, you can then next hire the ones who you really need or blah, blah, blah. So when we started the company, I, I, I can't say we didn't have a lot of fights. I fought so much with my co-founder, who was a man. I fought so much with my parents. I fought so much with my brothers, with the other, with the other engineers in the company. And I used to hit my phone, and, no, no, hit it by the wall and they always replaced my phone like 2 3 months i replace a new phone and um, and then now after 3 years we 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 sat together and, you know after a year and we said hey this is this is should be solved if we keep it this way we are not going to be successful it's a win to win situation my success is your success and your success is my success we cannot be successful alone so it took some time, but again, there's always a way to find, you know, a mutual ground between men and women. No one can be fully satisfied, though, Michael, okay?
0: How long have you been in Saudi?
1: It has been two months now.
0: How, how has your life changed since moving to Saudi? Uh,
1: it's a challenging. It's very challenging. The, com- the country here is progressing. They have a lot of new supportive rules for women, um, when I was when I was um, opening our company here our, as, as a subsidiary from the mother company. So I finished all the paper and now it's the time to get my investor visa. Okay, and I, he said, he started tick, 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 typing. He took my passport and he looked at me and he said, but excuse me, we don't have any option that says we can give a visa for a Palestinian female. And I was like, excuse me? And he said, yes, we don't have this option. And I was like, Oh, wow, great. So what can I do? <laughs> if I'm a Palestinian male, it would work out. He was like, oh, definitely, of course. But you're a Palestinian female. We don't have this option. So just, just imagine, you know, it, it, again, like I always thought that Gaza is the only place that suffers in the world where women are suffering. But it's not true. And I said, so there is no exceptions. And he said, no, we will make it an exception for you. So this is the change. When you women are the change. Well, I won't do it without them.
0: (laughs) what what's the market like for your products, both in Gaza and and in Saudi, as well as outside of it? And are you looking to expand? And if so, uh, what are the barriers uh, to expansion that you're facing?
1: So the market in Gaza is quite small and more like, Uh, a social market so we will reinvest all the profits in subsidizing for the families who cannot afford paying the full amount of the solar system the gaza market is like two million people market which is a pilot for some big companies in africa uh, but when we did it in Gaza, we wanted to, to address a serious need and improve the concept and learn from the market. So we, I always say we are, we are super lucky to grow up in Gaza and be born in Gaza because we could learn things that nowhere else we could learn in such a short period. So with Ga- when Gaza, we've witnessed so many issues. We learned a lot. We also brought a lot of technologies inside the market. We, we tried so many things un- until we reached to the best technologies in the world. Um, and in the, in the Saudi market, it's quite different because we are, looking at, we, we are talking about a bigger scale. In Gaza, our scale was like maximum half a megawatt. Here, our scale is much, much bigger. We're talking about like 10 megawatts, 20 megawatts. And the question regarding, are we looking to expand to other markets? Yes. So we are thinking to exit the Saudi market in five years. And then after five years, we are, we are thinking of entering a third market. We have no clear picture of it, but we, had some, we have some potential locations
0: for Palestinian families who are now able to access and use the power of the sun to generate and have electricity, how does that change the the power structure within communities? I mean, as you said earlier, Madge, the Israelis use access to energy and use electricity rationing as a method of control. It's part of the ongoing occupation. How then does having reliable energy access change the lives of families in Gaza.
1: Well uh first our, our community is is really depending on 800 100% Michael So our families always wait for United Nations to bring them food they always feel happy when we have extra 2 hours of electricity they feel happy when uh, one of the neighbors would bring a huge generator so they can take electricity from this generator we 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 don't have them we used to have the mentality of, you know, being independent, but not anymore. Unfortunately due to the blockade. So when you tell people, hey, this is your source of your own source of energy, you have to take care of it. These are the instructions and it's gonna provide you with energy as long as you take care of it. So you could find that the families feel more independent. And this is this is something we witnessed with the ones, especially with the ones that they have businesses inside their homes like uh, like for example a falafel shop like uh, um, uh, a tailor like uh, uh, like uh, uh, the haircut shop so these especially these kind of businesses they felt very very independent and their productivity increased so when they felt their productivity increased and their income as well increased they started to say yes, I can be independent from the grid. So many families who got the solar system are now not even connected to the grid. They just depend 100% on their own solar system. One of them was making fun. He said, hey, now I can cut the electricity by myself and turn it on by myself. No one is controlling when it's coming on or off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Maj you have been an international inspiration to so many people uh, even those who've only read about you or seen you through your ted talks or other interviews and 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 of course, for the example of your life how how can those in the audience help with with the successes that you've had and 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 and, to, and, and your efforts and to ensure that that there is even more progress made in these areas
1: We are looking for Uh, capacity building for our team as i mentioned we grew up in a community and all what we learned was online the first time my team left gaza was this year actually in february we managed to get them outside of gaza getting out is super impossible okay especially for young people like less than one percent of young people in gaza managed to get out um, and for this, for the first time, we managed to get our team outside of Gaza to a trip to Jordan and Saudi Arabia. It was a shorter trip. We had to go back because of the COVID. But we always say we invest in people. And I wanted to invest in my team because I believe in their potential and their talents. They are super smart, very hardworking. So we are, lead, we are really looking to have train, capacity trainings in terms of solar technology. We are still lacking so much experience and we cannot get it through online. So if, if someone can connect us to institutions that can give them like short training, some companies that they can have them like for a month or two over to see the technologies, that would be a great support and help. Plus... We also look for mentorship. Part of Sandbox, what we do, Michael, is we create a lot of local events. And we support local events. We always look for mentors to mentor people inside Gaza on the business side. And the third thing is if they are if they're interested to subsidize for some families in Gaza only. So that would be great.
0: Maj, thank you again for sharing so much of your time with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. And let me know if you need any questions.
0: we Will do, Maj. Thanks again. Have a great rest of your afternoon.
1: Thank you, Michael. Enjoy the rest of
0: your day. And thanks to all of you who've tuned in and stayed tuned in. You have been listening to the Berlin Energy Transition Dialogue podcast, a BETD production. The dialogues themselves are hosted and supported by the German federal government and are a joint initiative of the German Renewable Energy Federation. BEE, the German Solar Association, BSW Solar, the German Energy Agency, dena, and Clarion. I'll put up links in the show notes to Maja's TED Talk, Sunbox and Greencake, and more information as to how you can get involved. If you like the show, please consider subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd like to once again really thank my amazing producer, Christian Craneborg, whose precision and attention to detail all throughout this series has helped these podcasts come together. I'd also like to thank the team at the BETD, whom I've worked with this year, in particular, Carolyn Anders and Serafina Funk, for your help, creativity, and encouragement. Thank you as well to our guests around the world. It's been an honor and a privilege to hear your stories and to be able to share them. And finally, I'd like to thank you, the audience for taking the time to listen. Once again, I'm Michael Buxbaum. You can find my recent blogs for the Heinrich Boll Stiftung at energytransition.org or reach me directly on Twitter at L. Our theme song is way of life by Paul Werner. Until next time. Please wear a mask, stay healthy, and thanks for listening.